Well, hello there. Good morning. Hoping to see some friends pop up here pretty quick. We're ready to rock and roll. Well, I am delighted to start our second lesson in a series we've been calling The Sojourners. Now, the topic came out of Hebrews chapter 11, where the Bible talks a lot about those that were contending for the faith and needed to be commended for their faith. There's a whole list of people in there described at different points as being strangers or aliens or at some points pilgrims, and another translation picked up the word sojourners. If we were looking for a, a current word that might encapsulate that idea, we'd use the term expatriates. These are people who were living in, a, in another country that was not their homeland. Uh, they were there for a, a long period of time, but they longed to be back at their home. A sojourner is someone who's looking for their home country. We looked at uh, a, a sojourner last week by the name of William Wilberforce a member of British Parliament who over 46 years labored faithfully to do away with slave trading and slavery itself. And today I wanna to pick up another British uh, gentleman uh, and talk about a guy by the name of George Mueller. George Mueller. Whereas uh, Wilberforce I think was uh, in the 1700s, George Mueller was born in the early 1800s and he lived till 1898. He saw most of that 19th century in his lifetime. He was born in Germany. Uh, his uh, dad was an unbeliever, uh, kind of a tough childhood. His mom died when he was 14. But by his own testimony, George was a bit of a ruffian. He called himself a thief, a liar, and a gambler. When he was just 16 years old, he got sent to prison. When his uh, father bailed him out, they decided between the two of them that it pursued a life in ministry, not because they had any real spiritual focus, but they thought it would be a great way for him to earn a living. So off he went to university to study religion and the Bible. Some of his classmates invited him when he was 20 years old to a Bible study. And it was at that Bible study that, that he saw some things he'd never seen before. This small group of students gathered together and they, they read the Bible. They sang some songs, they prayed. And one of them read a pre-printed message from some other pastor. At the end of that evening, George Mueller made this comment. This time made a deep impression on me. I was happy, though if I'd been asked why I was happy, I don't think I could have clearly explained it. He says, I have not the least. And on that evening, God began a work of grace in my life. That evening was a turning point in my entire life. A few years later, he made his way to England. He was wanting to be a missionary, a part of the London Missionary Society, but he became very ill to the southwest of, of Great Britain and uh, was recuperating from this. Uh, he discovered at that time a lifelong commitment to reading through God's word. 
reading it, studying it, thinking about it, trying to make it a part of, of his life. The, uh, the amazing thing is, is that for the rest of his life, he averaged reading through the Bible four times each and every year. One of his quotes is this, the vigor of our spiritual life will be in exact proportion to the place held by the Bible in our life and in our thoughts. The spiritual life we have, the vigor for it, will be in exact proportion to the place that we put the Bible in our life. Now, a couple of things about him, just personally, he was married twice. His first wife's name was Mary. And uh, with Mary, they were together for 39 years and had four children. Two of them died at, uh, at birth. One of them didn't live past his But his daughter, Lydia, survived, and she became the head of his organization. When uh, Mary passed away, he married again, this time to Susanna, and he lived with her for 23 years. He preached her funeral just a few years, I think it was three years, before he passed away. Interesting what he said at her, at her funeral. He says, um, I, I recall the portion of scripture, the last portion of scripture that I read to her. It was this, the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them who walk uprightly. He went on to share that God, that since God does not withhold any good thing from his children, he was absolutely confident that he would see Susanna again. You see, these kind of relatively simple and statements were the bedrock of his faith. He had unshakable convictions based on the word of God and based on the fact that he trusted God. He just took him at his word. It's fascinating about how George lived his life. After living, leaving rather the uh, missionary society there in London, he began to serve in a small chapel or church down in Devon. It was called the Ebenezer Chapel. And it was at that time he decided to withgo, to, to, to reject really, his whopping $100 a year salary and begin to live totally by faith. Most of his pastoral work, though, happened at another church, the uh, Bethsaida Chapel in Bristol. In that, in that chapel, he was totally devoted to the and the congregation church. He preached three times a week, and, and uh, biographers have figured out that that comes to about 10,000 times to those people alone. Now, what's fascinating to me is how he led his church theologically. He led his church to be a, listen to this, an independent, premillennial, Calvinistic, Baptistic church that would allow non-baptized people into their membership. Now, if you know anything about theology, you know that these theological positions that are, that are encapsulated on those terms, independent, premillennial, Calvinistic, Baptistic, they don't go together. He was a bit of a theological maverick, and he was very with the mission organizations of his day. So he decided to start his own nonprofit. He called that particular organization Knowledge Institute for Home and Abroad. 
Now that particular organization began to make some serious inroads into the culture of his day. It had five branches, five things that were of importance to him to emphasize. The first was the Bible distribution. Since he was so committed to God's word, that's not surprising. He financed the printing and the distribution of a ton of God's word. In the 73 years that his ministry existed, he gave away almost 300,000 Bibles and 1.5 million copies of the New Testament. Now remember when this is, the middle 1800s. To finance and to organize the distribution of that many Bibles and New Testaments is astonishing. The second part of his organization also went along with that. It was his book and track distribution. Good literature, good uh, theological material, and tracks giving the gospel. He wanted to get it out into the hands of the people. The tracks that he printed, about a quarter of a million of them in his lifetime, were translated into 22 different languages and distributed all over the continental or the continent uh, of Europe. His third emphasis is one that's really near and dear to my heart. He was committed to Christian education. He wanted to establish schools. In fact, during his uh, lifetime, he established 117 different schools. I did one and it about killed me. 117 different schools. And during that time, they served about 120,000 children, not to speak of the thousands of adults who also attended those schools. His fourth emphasis was on general missionary support, missionary support for those that served all around the world. He was so committed to that ministry that during the last 17 years of his life, he stopped pastoring that small church in, in uh, Bristol and traveled the world with his wife. During that time, they went all over Great Britain, all over the continent of Europe. They went to the United States on several occasions. He made it as far as China and India. Biographers tell us that he traveled uh, to some 42 different countries. And remember, they weren't flying and he traveled 200,000 miles preaching and sharing the gospel and giving missionary support to those who were out there in the field. He had a heart for missions. But his fifth part of his organization was the part that was nearest and dearest to his heart. He wanted to board, clothe, and educate destitute children. He understood the principles that are outlined in our Bible in James chapter 1 and verse number 27, where the Bible says that religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the widows and the orphans in their distress. George Mueller loved orphans. No way around it. He loved kids, especially those that had no one else to love them. When he started building orphanage houses in, in the entire Great Britain, there were only 3,600 beds allocated for these destitute kids. The influence of his ministry 
can be seen in, in this particular statistic. By the time he passed away, there were over 100,000 beds available for these kids. He personally ministered to 10,000 of them. He built five, five large orphan houses, each one of the houses housing 200 or 300 kids at a time. And he, he never took a penny from anyone that he had asked for. He never took a salary. He, uh, he was, he was a, a kind of man who believed he needed to pray and ask God to bring in the resources necessary, not manipulate or ask around or hint, but simply to pray and trust God to provide. During those years that he was personally responsible for those 10,000 orphans, not on a single day did he or any of them go to bed hungry. There are all kinds of stories about his prayer life. Let me share uh, uh, several of them that are my favorites. One of them uh, it had to do with a, a house that had about 300 kids in it and the boiler broke. Uh, it was encased in, in brick. And so even if, if they had the money, which they didn't, just to find where the leak was would have taken weeks. And, and the, during that time, the kids would have all been fr freezing to death. So he, so he realized that we got a problem on our hands. I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer. And this is what he prayed for, two specific requests. First, he prayed that the frigid wind that was blowing from the north and freezing everyone would shift around and become a southerly wind, a warm, refreshing wind, something that, that would make it possible for it not to be so so cold in the orphan house. And his second prayer request was that when and if the workmen showed up, that they, like the guys outlined in the book of Nehemiah, would have a mind to work, that they'd get it done quickly. When he finished praying, George uh, went uh, into his office and they handed him three envelopes. There were letters. All three of the letters contained money, enough money to get the boiler fixed. And true to God and God's word, the wind shifted from the north to the south, and the workmen asked if they could work through the night and get the job done quickly. These stories about everywhere we turn, George Mueller is glorifying God by helping people take God at his word. One story I love has to do with uh, a trip he was making over to uh, Eng or from England to the United States. He was crossing the Atlantic and his ship ran into a, a thick fog bank. He complained to the captain that he needed to be in Quebec the next day for a, a, an important meeting. The captain, a guy by the name of Joseph Dutton, said that he was slowing the ship down for the safety of everyone on board. And too bad, Mueller, you're gonna miss your appointment. Mueller asked to use the chart room uh, for a place to pray. He was going to ask God to lift the fog. The captain reluctantly agreed and followed Mueller down to the chart room. He thought it would be a waste of time, but he wanted to be there. After Mueller prayed a very simple prayer, the captain started to pray, but Mueller stopped him. He said, uh, here's the two reasons. One, I didn't really believe that the captain uh, had a belief in Jesus Christ. But secondly, I knew that the prayer had already been answered. 
He said, Captain, I've known my Lord for more than 50 years, and there is not one instance where I have failed to have an audience with the king. Get up, for you'll find that the fog has gone. When the two men went back to the bridge, they found that the fog had lifted and Mueller was able to keep his appointment. The captain became a believer. These stories go on and on. There was a smallpox, a smallpox outbreak. And rather than see this as a horrible situation, Mueller saw it as a positive uh, opportunity. He said, now the kids are gonna be stuck in the homes and they can't go anywhere. Uh, we're gonna have greater opportunity, more time to teach God's word to them. Dozens of kids came to Christ during that smallpox outbreak. No one died. And in the end, the kids came to the adults and asked if they could have their own prayer meetings led by their own friends in their own bedrooms. But my very favorite story about George Mueller has to do with a, a morning. Apparently his wife came in and said, uh, George, there's nothing for your or the kids breakfast, nothing in the cupboards. George Mueller gathered the kids down in the large dining room and led them in a prayer of thanks for the breakfast they were about to receive. Now he knew there was nothing in the cupboard. He was thanking God in advance. A few minutes later, there was a commotion outside. When they went outside, they discovered that the milkman was uh, in distress. One of the tires, excuse me, not tires, the, the wheels on his cart had, had broken and he would be unable to, to, to make the rest of his route. And so he, he donated, he began to give away all of the milk and the butter and the, and, the, and the cream and the cottage cheese that was on his cart. They hauled it into the orphanage. And about that time, the baker guy showed up and donated loaves of bread. Mueller himself and all of those kids had an amazing breakfast. You see, his unshakable conviction was that God would answer prayer. The aim of his whole entire life was to glorify God by helping people take God at his word. It was a simple approach, a simple approach that helped him maintain a very deep-seated joy, a joy that sustained Mueller's life. If there was a need, he prayed, period. Let me say that again. If there was a need, he prayed, period. He never asked for money from donors. He never hinted around. But you know, if you look at his records, the journals that he kept, he kept meticulous records, he was able to raise over $14 million for that ministry. That's an amazing sum from an amazing God who was answering his, his servant's simple prayer. So what can you and I learn from uh, George Mueller? What is there for us to understand? Well, I think there are two major things. The first is God can be trusted. You and I are living in a world that does not have a flavor of understanding who God is 
and how he wishes to bless his children. But we, as believers in Jesus Christ, we can mirror the faith and the trust of George, George Mueller and simply learn that God can be trusted. Think about a, a biblical story or two. The one in Daniel, the first part of Daniel, where the three Hebrew children are, are arrested because they refuse to bow down and worship Nebuchadnezzar's statue. When the king pressed them about it, this is what they said. We do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the fiery furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand. He will rescue us. No equivocating, no, no, no fussing, no fear, done deal. We trust him. David echoed this, this important truth. And in Psalm 28, verse number seven, I hope you have your Bible there. Psalm 28, verse number seven, it says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. My heart leaps for joy and I will give thanks to him in song. The Lord is my strength. My heart trusts in him. That was Mueller's perspective. God is trustworthy. And I'm convinced that that very same perspective ought to invade our hearts as well. God can be trusted. Your family situation. He can be trusted with your finances. He can be trusted with your health concerns. He can be trusted as you look around the world and see chaos on every corner. God can be trusted. Let me give you a second thing that I think we should take away from good old George Mueller. And that is God is absolutely delighted when we trust him so completely. He is delighted when his kids take him at his word. I think that's what the, the prophet Malachi was trying to, to demonstrate there in Malachi chapter 3. He's teaching about giving, but there's a bigger principle there. He says in 3.10, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Test me in this. Now this, let me make clear, this is not a taunting test of God. This is not climbing a 50-story building and stepping off the edge, wondering if God will catch you. This is rather an opportunity to test our faith. Do we trust God or not? Mueller demonstrated his unwavering faith. His ability to put his trust in God was demonstrated over and over again while he served those orphans, or he built those schools, or he preached in his church or around the world. You and I, today, January 2021, need to demonstrate our trust 
and that very sane, very reliable God. There's a story that I've told several times, I think it resonates so richly in my heart about uh, the United States in the 1930s. You might recall that there was a, a massive drought during that time, so much so that the Southwest became known as the Dust Bowl. Crops were ruined, people's lives were, were totally uprooted, people were starving to death. The situation was very dire. And during that time, uh, small communities all over our country band together to pray for rain. And the story is told about one particular small country village gathered together, headed down to the old church building, set in the wooden ready to pray for rain. And as the old crusty preacher got to the church and looked out at his congregation, he saw men and women, families, older people, all gathered together ready to pray. And then he looked down in the front row and there sat a little girl and in her hands was an umbrella. You see, everybody else in the congregation gathered together to pray. But none of them really expected it to rain. That little girl brought her umbrella. She was the one who came prepared and confident. She was confidently prepared to see her God work on her behalf. She expected her Heavenly Father to answer prayer. She expected it to rain. And rain it did. And she was the only one with the umbrella. Oh, my friends, I pray that you and I would be like George Mueller or the little girl with the umbrella and live our lives in such a way that expresses our expectation that, that God is trustworthy, that when we come to him in genuine faith, when we seek his will, when we show our dependence by the intensity of our prayer life, he delights, he delights in showing up and answering our prayer. This is one of the ways you and I can become a modern day sojourner. Thanks for coming today. It's great to talk to you. Lord bless you. Wouldn't have been any fun without you.